right, let's take our Bibles, if you will, and turn to the book of Genesis and uh, chapter number 37. We'll read a few verses tonight. Good to see each one back in the house of the Lord. Uh, I wanted to read to you uh, a little humorous thing. Didn't have time last night, but... uh, I think you'll get a kick out of this. It's Noah's Ark. And, of course, we preached on that last night. Noah found grace. Noah's Ark in today's society. The Lord speaks to Noah and says, In one year I'm going to make it rain and cover the whole earth with water until all is destroyed, but I want you to save the righteous people. And two of every kind of living thing on the earth. Therefore, I'm commanding you to build an ark. In a flash of lightning, God delivered the specifications for an ark. Fearful and trembling, Noah took the plans and agreed to build the ark. Remember, said the Lord, you must complete the ark and bring everything aboard in one year. Exactly one year later, a fierce storm cloud formed and all the seas of the earth went into tumult. The Lord saw Noah sitting in his front yard, weeping. Noah, he shouted, where is the ark? Lord, please forgive me, cried Noah. I did my best, but there were some big problems. First, I had to get a permit for construction, and your plans did not comply with the codes. I had to hire an engineering firm and redraw the plans. Then I got into a fight with OSHA over whether or not the ark needed a fire sprinkler system and flotation devices. Then my neighbor objected, claiming I was violating zoning ordinances by building an ark in my front yard, so I had to get a variance from the city planning commission. I had problems getting enough wood for the ark because there was a ban on cutting trees to protect the spotted owl. I finally convinced the U.S. Forest Service that I needed the wood to save the owls. However, the Fish and Wildlife Service won't let me catch any owls, so no owls on the ark. The carpenters formed a union and went out on strike. I had to negotiate a settlement with the National Labor Union. Now I have 16 carpenters on the ark, but still no owls. When I started rounding up other animals, I got sued by the animal rights group. They objected to me taking two of each kind aboard. Just when I got the suit dismissed, the EPA notified me that I could not complete the art without filing an environmental impact statement on your proposed flood. They didn't take very kindly to the idea that they had no jurisdiction over the conduct of the creator of the universe. Then the Army Corps of Engineers demanded a map of the proposed new flood plan. I gave them the globe. (laughs) Right now, I'm trying to resolve a complaint filed with the Equal uh, Employment Opportunity Commission that I'm practicing discrimination by not taking godless, unbelieving people aboard. The IRS has seized all my assets, claiming that I'm building the ark in preparation to flee the country to avoid paying taxes. I just got a notice from the state that I owe some kind of user tax and failed to register the ark as a recreational watercraft. Finally, the ACLU got the courts to issue an injunction against further construction of the ark, saying that since God is flooding the earth, 
it is a religious event and therefore unconstitutional. I really don't think I can finish the ark for another five or six years, Noah wailed. The sky began to clear, the sun began to shine, and the seas began to calm. A rainbow arched across the sky. Noah looked up hopefully. You mean you're not going to destroy the earth, Lord? No, said the Lord sadly. Looks like the government already has. <laughs> I think that's pretty good, don't you? <laughs> and I'm sure that would be the reality if uh, that was the case nowadays. But uh, praise the Lord, the Lord doesn't have to wait upon us, does he? All right, in Genesis chapter number 37, of course, we've been preaching on those who found grace. And we realize that those who find grace soon find that it was grace that found them. The further we go along on the journey, we realize that God's grace showed up in our lives. And uh, last night we saw how that one aspect of that Grace was saving grace, how God gave saving grace to Noah. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And while we have not tried to define grace, I do not believe that the Bible is a book of definitions. It is a book of experiences. And if you've ever experienced grace, you don't need definition. But there is a verse that I think uh, says it as well as it can be said. 2 Corinthians 8 9, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. God's grace. But tonight I want us to look at another character in the Bible that found grace. And I want us to see the aspect of that grace and the emphasis of that grace in his life because I believe it to be the same in your life and my life. And I'm going to preach tonight on what I call serving grace. Serving grace. And I believe this to be true, that anywhere grace shows up in a life, in a heart, anywhere that saving grace comes in, and redeems you and forgives you and washes you in the blood of Christ, that which comes along with it will be a desire to serve the one who saved you. There will be an attitude of service and of serving Christ. And, uh, of course, uh, 1 Peter chapter number 4, verse 10 emphasizes this. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. He said, you minister this grace one to another. And we know that the Lord Jesus Christ, when he came into this world, he said, the Son of Man has not come to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And he is the great example of, uh, 
of being a servant in this world, and He is the embodiment, He is the fullness of grace. He is grace personified. But I want us to see how that grace in a heart reveals itself through this thought of service or ministering or being a servant. Let's look in uh, Genesis 37, verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. Verse 4. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all the brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Verse 23. And it came to pass when Joseph was coming to his brethren that they stripped Joseph uh, out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. They took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And verse number 26, Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him unto the Ishmaelites. Let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And the brethren were content. Verse 36, And the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's, a captain of the guard. And then flip over to chapter number 39. And uh, the Bible said, Joseph, verse 1, was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites. Verse 2, And the Lord was with Joseph. He was a prosperous man. And uh, verse 3, His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. Verse 4 is the key verse, And Joseph found grace in his sight. Notice the next three words. And he served him. And then if you'll look down in verse number 20, this is after Joseph is lied about by Potiphar's wife as she's tempted him. And Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And then if you'll look over in verse number 14, there are two servants of Pharaoh that get put into the same prison. They have dreams, and Joseph interprets those dreams. One of those servants gets to go back to work. And Joseph tells him, But think on me when it will be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh. And then the Scripture lets us know two years later, chapter 41, the king has had a dream. And he needs someone to interpret his couple of dreams. And verse number 9, Then spake the chief butler unto Pharaoh, saying, I do remember my faults this day. Pharaoh was wroth with his servants and put 
me inward into the captain of the guard's house, both me and the chief baker. And we dreamed a dream in one night, I and he, we dreamed each man according to the interpretation of his dream. And there was there with us a young man, an Hebrew servant. Now look down, if you will, in verse number 38. Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this is, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, Forasmuch as God has showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according to all thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. There are four or five things I want to say to you tonight briefly about this matter of grace and how that it is serving grace that takes hold in Joseph's life. And that the primary work of grace in any heart, once it takes hold, is that it will work to make you a servant uh, to the one who saved you and a servant to those of the household of faith, yea, a servant to this world. Grace has the purpose of creating servants. And so I want us to see that. And that is our first thought. I want you to notice with me in this matter of, of serving grace, as illustrated in Joseph's life. First of all, serving grace creates a servant. Serving grace creates a servant. Now, if we're not careful, we will blame our uh, situations and circumstances on people that are around us that we believe have caused uh, our calamities. And it could be so in Joseph's life. Uh, We could look at those brothers that hated him and say, I'll just tell you what. Uh, Those boys, they need to be put in jail. And I'm not justifying what they did. It was wrong. But our attitude would be, boy, they need need justice for what they did to their brother. Look how terrible it is, how they have sold him into the hands of the Ishmaelites. And now the Ishmaelites have sold him uh, into Egypt to uh, the, the captain of the king's guard there, Potiphar. And we could see those instruments or those people who had a hand in placing Joseph in this awful condition. But I want to say to you that it's, it's, it goes far deeper than that. Because Psalm 105 verse 17 tells us, He sent a man before them, talking about God, He sent a man before them. Even Joseph, who they sold for a servant. God had an idea. God had a plan for Joseph's life. And his plan was to create a servant. And in this plan of creating a servant, it involves certain 
situations and certain calamities and certain circumstances. And uh, when grace began to work, and grace was working, somebody said, well, I, I don't see grace in Joseph being sold and, and being hated and being, uh, becoming a servant and being put in prison. Uh, whether you see it or not, grace is working behind the scenes, creating a servant, making a servant out of Joseph. Now, it does so in several ways. I'll only mention three. I notice that grace is creating uh, this, this servitude in Joseph's life, first of all, in a, in a, in a circumstance of loving lovingness. Because the Bible tells us in chapter number 37 that, that his father Jacob loved him and made him the coat of many colors. And he was the first one that gave commands for Joseph's life. Remember, he started that downward uh, spiral into Egypt when he called his son and Joseph said, here am I. And he said, I want you to go down and check on your brothers. And that was the faithful command that was obeyed that sent Joseph into these, these awful dilemmas. But it was the loving father that he was obeying his command. And of course, this work of grace in our lives is a work that begins, first of all, in a relationship of love to a heavenly Father that we know loves us and has sent His Son to die for us while we were yet in our sins. And He, he works and creates and, of course, He sheds abroad that love in our heart and it creates this will, this desire uh, to obey the Father. And there is this, this attitude of obedience. And so he, he is a servant bound by love. As he says, here am I, Father. And he obeys that command, that command of lovingness. I'm glad that this matter of service is not just an old, cold, lifeless edict or decree of which somebody is constantly telling us what to do. But the Apostle Paul said, I am constrained. How? By His love. And yes, there are many things I have laid down since I came to Christ. Many things I have turned away from. Many things I have refused myself because my father gave the voice on the issue. But it was not just the voice that made the decision or made the difference. It was the love that was behind that voice that I realized that made me want to do what my father told me to do. It was a relationship of love that brought forth. I'm talking about how grace, this, this serving grace creates a servant through a relationship of lovingness. But not only that, this serving grace creates a servant through a relationship of lowliness. Now, if you will notice in Joseph's dreams, it seems as though everyone is bowing to him. But yet, in reality and practicality of his life, up until the end, we find no record that anybody bowed to him. But it seems as though that he spends 
at least 22 years bowing. I, I, I imagine you couldn't count the tens of thousands of times that he had to bow because he was the lowest of all those that were in Egypt. He came into Egypt not as a freeborn citizen, not as one who was of, of a, a statue, uh, not as a leader, but he came as one who was bought to serve those who served the king. As Potiphar was a servant of the king. He was the servant of the servants, the lowest of the low. And somebody said, well, why did God do that? Because that's what grace is all about. If you're going to find grace, you know where you're going to find grace? Understand this. You're not going to find it in the high and lofty places. The Scripture tells me, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Let me go back to verse 5, 1 Peter chapter 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elders... Yea, all ye be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the what? The humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. It has the idea that, that when grace begins to work on your life, it doesn't begin by lifting you up, putting you in the front of the line, exalting you, filling you with pride and success in this world. But God wants you to experience His grace. And anywhere you find grace, you will always find it. Believe this, grace is always found in the lowest places and lowest experiences of life. But yet it is the highest experience and the greatest experience that you can have. And so what God does in His grace is He forces us down so that we can experience grace in those lowly places. Now, I'm sure that if I were to ask tonight how many of you uh, want the grace of God, we would all raise our hands. So let me say, how many of you would, you, you want God, you want grace? Would you raise your hand? You want grace. You want grace. Well, let me ask you this. How many of you are willing to go to prison? Well, I thought you said you wanted grace. That's where Joseph found grace, wasn't it? How many of you would want to be hated by your whole family? How many of you would want to be put in a pit where there's no water and, and sold to... Uh, the gypsies, Ishmaelites, and, and, and taken to Egypt. We none want that, but yet the truth of it is, is God has some special grace for us in some low places as far as this world is concerned. And while the rest of the world is trying to stay away from those places and, and, and are afraid of those places and do not want to go to those places, God Almighty allows His children to go there because it is there we're able to testify to the rest of the world that grace, God's grace, is in the low places of life. In those lowly places. In those lowly places, God is pushing him down into a pit. And 
down into Egypt and down into prison. But yet in any of those down places, he finds that there's grace. When Ruth goes into that field, she goes into those down places. And there in those low places, she finds the fruit of grace. In the humble places, it is God's intent in our lives not to lift us up and to make us proud and boastful and successful so all the limelight can be on us and a great focus on our success. God would have us to be brought down so we can experience that grace that does exalt us. Because you see, it works that way. As we are pressed down towards grace, it is that same grace that we partake of that in God's kingdom elevates us and lifts us up. Creating, creating servants in, in this lovingness experience and in this lowliness experience and in this loneliness experience while he is in prison. And the Bible said they bound him and they hurt him. But yet it's in these places, ironically, that he found the thing that we want to find the most. And that is the grace of Somebody said, why do I have to be sick? Why do I, uh, why do I have to, why do my, why? Because children, it is in those places that you experience what you will never experience anywhere else. And that is the grace of God. And all the joy and the abundance of the testimonies of those who have been in those places and have found God's grace. So I say to you, first of all, it is serving grace that creates servants, forms servants, and makes servants. God wants to make, first of all, a servant out of us by His grace. The second thing that I want you to see is not only does serving grace create servants, that's its ideal purpose is to create servants. But I want you to notice with me how that serving grace in Joseph's life and in your life confines a servant. In other words, when Joseph is taken into Egypt and the scripture said again in Psalm 105, he sold him for a servant. God wants Joseph to learn to be a servant and so grace become serving grace in his life. But what grace will do is it will put you in places to where it will confine you. It'll be places that, that you can't get out of it. You can't change it. It's not something you can vote on. But when you look around, you will realize quickly that you don't have to guess on your position in this setting. And as Joseph goes down into Egypt and he looks around, he soon realizes there's no crowns for him to wear. 
There's no royal robes to put on him. There's no rings of signet and new shoes for his feet. But when he goes in there and Potiphar says, Son, come in here. Come in here. And he goes into that clothing room. There will hang all of those garments, but they're servants' garments, every one of them, that he's going to have to put on. And he looks around and he sees all of these tools that are tools to work with and to serve with. And he begins to do these menial tasks because that's all that there is to do. He is confined to do nothing but to serve. Oh, isn't it true when the grace of God comes into your life, it comes with a gift, it comes with an ability, it comes with an attitude, and, and, and it comes to, to bring you to this place of service. So it, it acclimates you to the environment of which, of which you are in, and there you realize what you have to do. There's nothing else to do but to do this. Kind of like a mama bringing that new baby home. You know, everybody's around, grandmama's around. Everybody, oh, looky, looky, looky. Everybody wants to hold. But there comes that day when, of necessity, everybody's got to leave. Okay? And mama goes into the bedroom, and guess what? The baby has a bad diaper. And there's no choice on this matter. <laughs> that cute little thing is going to have to be changed. And there's nobody else left to do the job. <laughs> so you get the dirty work along with all the other work. It just comes with the territory. That's part of the job. And... Uh, I say that to illustrate that Joseph is placed and confined to a place to where there's nothing left to do but to serve. And can I say to you, if you are really a child of God, God's grace will work in you and bring you to the place to where there's nothing left to do but to serve because He wants you to serve. And grace always wants to serve begins to serve while he is there. And uh, you know that word minister and servant in the New Testament, it has the idea of the old ship uh, back in Roman days and even back in no doubt Egyptian days that uh, had the sails and the masks of which it would catch the wind as it blew to carry it in its, into its destination, its port. But also, if you look into those old ships, you'll see that, that about halfway down or a little further, there are little portholes with, uh, with those uh, uh, oars sticking out, thank you. And uh, they'll be all along there. And in that lower deck, it's filled with nothing but servants or slaves. And what their purpose is, is when the wind stops blowing and the ship stops moving, 
then they have to operate on the inside breath that God gave them. And three or four of them on each oar will begin to grab that oar and they will begin to dig deep in that water and they will begin to move that ship from beneath as servants. Now they're not bragged on. Nobody's up there clapping their hands. Nobody even knows really what most of them looks like down there. They're not even registered other than they're for sale. But while they're down there, they are manning the oars and they are pushing the ship because the outer wind is not blowing. And what it has the idea of is what God saved you and me for is not to run around on the top deck like we're the chief, but to get down in the bottom of that deck, so to speak. And when the wind stops blowing, that we realize that times are difficult, and we want God to use us. And so while the winds are not blowing from the outside, there's an inside moving of the Spirit of God that will say to us, grab your oar, son, and start, grab your oar, sister, and start moving this ship in the right direction. And God gives you a part in His great moving across the water. A minister or a servant. You see, it's easy to be a part of a church when it's booming when you can't find a place to sit and you got more money than what you know what to do with and people are being saved every service and as a result of that everybody wants to jump on board and they want to ride on top while the wind is moving and God does do that from time to time and they just want to say praise the Lord look what's happening over my place but I found That every now and then, and this happens not only in churches, but individual lives, that for some reason God will start blow, stop blowing with that wind. And the sails are of little value. But thank God there'll be somebody in that church that for the most part, all those on the top deck will want to bail out and go to another ship. They'll want to go somewhere else. They don't want to be a part of something that's having difficulties. But thank God, from time to time, there'll be some people who are a part of that church that they'll realize, Lord, we're having a hard time. Preacher ain't got no liberty. There's some financial difficulties or whatever. And I know there's something I can do here, and I want you to help me to do it. And God will let you grab an oar. Now, it may be just an oar prayer, but boy, I'm going to tell you, that's needed. And you'll reach way down from that inner spirit and say, Lord, I'm just praying that you'll move again and that you'll give the preacher some liberty and help him to preach the word and don't let us just come to set and want to be blessed, but let us be a blessing. And we'll begin to oar. 
Somebody else would say, Preacher, I ain't got, or say, Lord, I ain't got much. But I notice the offering's down. But what I can give, I'm going to give. And I'll grab my oar and I'll do what you've given me the ability to do. And you'll dig down and grab that water and push that old boat across that water. Thank God what a blessing it is when it's not a show and when the wind doesn't seem to be blowing that you realize that down beneath there's some servants that's willing to grab hold of their oar and they're determined they're going to do something for God and this is their chance to be used of the Lord. I had a fellow tell me, he'd heard me mention this and he said, you know preacher, ironically I was studying something along that line uh, here a while back and he said, I, I read to where there's a difference between paddling and oaring. He said, paddling, you're just reaching the surface water. And uh, you're trying to move with speed. And a lot of times you're just slapping the water. Well, he didn't have to say no more. I said, yeah, I pastored a few like that. They like to slap the water. They like to, you know, hey, look at me. Look what I'm doing. Slapping the water. I put my two dollars in. Do you see that? Just slapping the water. Well, I was here last Sunday. I'll be back next Sunday if I can make it. And they just slap the water. They just come in slapping the water. But there's a difference in slapping the water. Well, you might be able to move something little that way, but honey, a big old ship ain't going to move like that. You've got to have somebody that's willing to put some muscle and back in it, and it's going to take some suffering, and it's going to take some sweat, and they're going to let that thing deep down into that water, and they're going to push that oar with every ounce of strength that they've got because they want to move that thing for God. Instead of sitting around wondering, saying, well, wonder why we ain't going nowhere. And I'll tell you something else about it. Those who oar never get to see where they're going. You have to oar backwards. You don't understand where you're going. You don't understand what's taking place. And you don't know why it's taking place. But you do know that you've got a purpose. And your purpose is not to figure out all the directions and everything. It's just to get down there and blindly, by faith, get to moving that oar. Because there's a captain up there on top that controls that rudder. And he'll take the ship where it needs to go if somebody will get down there and oar. But all the blessing, not only as far as the church is concerned, but to come to the house of God and say, Lord, I want you to be a, I want to be a blessing tonight. And if there's somebody there at church tonight that's having a hard time, maybe they just need a hug and a handshake. Maybe they need a phone call. Maybe they do need some money or maybe they just need to be prayed for. I want you to put them on my heart, Lord, and I'll get by my oar and I know the wind's not blowing and they're having a hard time. Seems like they're not going anywhere and I can see it on their countenance. But Lord, I'll spend some time for them and I'll oar them across the water until the wind blows again. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, if you do that, inevitably the wind's going to blow in that individual's life and you're going to get a bigger blessing out of it than they do. <laughs> They'll come in one Sunday like this. Woo! 
You say, brother, what happened? Oh, the Lord moved in my house today. And you may not say anything about it, but down inside of you say, thank you, Lord, that you let me have a part in moving that brother or that sister ship across the water. Moving that boat. He's up there. He's got a hold of the rudder. You don't worry about which direction. He'll get you where you need to go if you'll just grab the oar. I like that, don't you? Grace will confine you. It'll put you to where you'll look over there and burden sometimes and say, Lord, I see my oar over there. I ain't just going to hang around down here. I'm going to get a hold of that thing. And you've given me some inner spirit. And I'm going to do some pulling with it. And we're going to move across this water and be a blessing to somebody else. So you grace, serving grace creates the servant. Serving grace confines the servant to where there's nothing left to do but to serve. So I want you to notice in me that serving grace cultivates the servant. It grows him. It is a progress. And I see this in the fact that Joseph starts out Serving his father in obedience. Serving his father in obedience. And uh, that's a wonderful place to experience grace. There's nothing like it. That's where grace starts, in the heart of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. But he will bring you from that into other places to allow you not only to serve in this attitude of love, but he will bring you again into these places of lowliness and loneliness because he wants you to learn to serve here. And he wants you to learn to serve there. He wants you to learn to serve there. And uh, if you can serve here and serve here, he'll move you over here and let you serve. And then he'll move you over here and let you serve. And, you know, we don't all, none of us mind. I mean, you know... If he's just going to save us and put us on the throne somewhere, let us tell everybody else what to do. That's wonderful. Lord, just make me the boss. All I want to do in my home is be the boss. All I want to do in the job is I want to be the boss. They won't let me boss. He's not interested in you bossing. He's interested in you serving. Serving one another, the Bible said, in love. And as he cultivates Joseph, he takes him into these places. But I'm going to tell you something. If Joseph's not going to serve at home, he's not going to serve under Potiphar. And if he ain't going to serve under Potiphar, he won't serve in prison. And if he won't serve in those places, he's not going to serve on the throne. He's going to be a dictator on the throne. And he's going to be a bully on the throne. And he's going to use the throne for his own purposes. And God doesn't need another bully. He doesn't need another person that's going to reign supreme to tell everybody else what to do. And I'll tell you, for his own glory, he needs somebody that can serve there and here and here. And then when he gets on the throne, the only difference between Joseph, the servant on the throne, and the servant at the house is this that he's got more people to serve. 
Instead of serving a few in a prison, a few in Potiphar's house, and his father, now he's serving millions of people. And I'm going to tell you something. God never takes you out of the realm of service. You never become the big dog. You just become a bigger servant. And that's what Jesus said to the disciples. He said, the, the one that is greatest among you, he is the servant. Or is a danger of that in, in preaching. We have to deal with that, especially uh, early on. God has to drive us down. He has to push us down. I can remember the first church I took. I thought, boy, ain't they lucky. I mean, they're getting a real deal here. And so I just went in and expected that I should be respected and I should be honored and everybody should bow to the authority. But over the years, God has pushed me down, pushed me down. And I've found that there's a lot of gracious people down there in those low places that's getting some real grace from God. And I've sort of decided I don't want those big high dog places. I'd just rather waller around with the grace people and enjoy ministering one to another. But it's got to be cultivated. God wants to bring you to the place to where He can cultivate you to where you're willing to, not just, but through grace, you're willing to minister unto others. Grace creates, this serving grace creates a servant. Serving grace confines a servant. Serving grace cultivates the servant. But then can I say to you, serving grace controls the servant. You know, back in chapter number 39, it leaped out at me one day as to what it was that that protected Joseph from sin. What kept him from giving in to this woman? You know what it was? It was serving grace. It was that humbled heart. Because if you'll go back sometime and read it in verse number 7 down through verse number 12, she sets her eyes upon him. Verse 8 said, but he refused. He said, look at his answer. Behold, my master walteth not what is with me in the house. Notice what he called him. He said, master. That's his attitude. Attitude will keep you out of trouble or it'll get you into trouble. Joseph could have went down there in Egypt and said, I don't deserve this. This ain't right. This ain't fair. I'm not a slave. I'm a son of a Hebrew. And I ain't doing nothing down here for nobody. And if he'd have taken on that attitude, somebody said, well, he was right. If he'd have taken on that attitude, he would have been wrong. And he'd have been dead is what would have happened to him. And honey, I'm here to tell you, if you let the pressures of life and the people of life contaminate your spirit and get you to crying out, this ain't right and everybody's treating me wrong, all you're doing is ruining yourself. You need to look around in the predicament you're in no matter where it's at and say, God, I really don't like this and I don't like how I'm being treated, but I'm not going to take on that attitude. I'm going to serve you right here even if I have to serve the people that's trying to rule over me. I'm not going to let my spirit be contaminated. And because he didn't, 
This grace controlled. It became the thermostat of his heart. When that woman came out there and said, Hey, pretty boy, how about me and you? He said, Lady, and grace took over. That servant, Grace, took over and said, I want you to know I've got a master that's good to me. Now, he could have said, the way I've been treated, nobody's going to know about it anyhow. But no, Grace had set the tone of his heart. And he said, I'm too thankful for what my master's done to, for me. And he said, I'm not blaming all this on him. And he said, I'm going to tell you something else. God has been good to me, even though I've been down here. And he said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God and my master? Oh, serving grace. I'm going to tell you what's ruined this country is this entitlement mentality. I know God has raised up this country, and it's a wonderful country, but I'm telling you, we've got this matter of, a, of democracy in the church, and we think we all need to vote on everything, and especially the vote better turn out our way. If we're not, we're going to get mad and roll in the floor, throw a songbook, and leave. We're all cantankerous. Chip on our shoulder. Waiting for somebody to say something we don't like. So we can get mad, because we like to get mad. And especially if we can get a good reason to be mad. And if anybody ever had a cause to get cantankerous and mad, Joseph didn't. But he wasn't going to let that control him. Grace controlled his heart and kept him out of sin. Here's the truth of the matter. As long as a man is thankful and grateful for his wife, he will always be faithful. There's no danger. But the moment that a man ceases to be grateful and thankful for his wife, he's in danger of being unfaithful. And vice versa. And so it is with the church. As long as a church member is grateful and thankful for the pastor in the church, they will be faithful. But the moment they begin to nitpick, they will be unfaithful. It works in all of life, and so it does with the Lord. As long as you are grateful and thankful because grace has not given you this spirit of entitlement. I deserve something. I deserve better than this, and everybody better be good to me. We've raised generations of folks that are going around with their hand out almost as if God owes them something. And that's why we're in the mess that we're in. But all that grace, marvelous grace, would bring us into those low places and let us drink of the deep wells of grace that'll keep us thankful to God for all that He's done for us. And how it will keep us from an old ugly attitude and entanglements and sin as far as this world is concerned. Now, the last thought. I'm talking about serving grace. (laughs) Or grace that serves. This serving grace creates a servant. It confines a servant. It cultivates the servant. It controls the servant. But here, here is what I want you to see. Serving grace 
copies the servant. Copies the servant. You know what I mean? Serving grace imitates the servant. You say, well, what are you talking about? Well, you know who the greatest servant was that was ever in this world, don't you? The Bible said, but he made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant. When there was the washing of the disciples' feet, who did it? Jesus did it. The breaking of the bread, who did it? Jesus did it. Who was it that came from his father's house and had no place to lay his head? And many times went hungry and went thirsty. It was Jesus. And he was the servant of all servants because he was God manifested in the flesh. The one, the Bible said, who created this world. All things were made by him and through him and for him, the Bible said. But yet he humbled himself and when he came into this world, he said, the only position I want in this world is to be a servant. And he spent those 33 and a half years doing one thing. Because he was grace. And he served. In all of those tragic situations of life, Jesus became the servant waiting and ministering to mankind. But he sits on his Father's throne in heaven. But he's not through serving. So what he does is he sends his grace into your heart and into my heart so he can make us just like him and create within us the same spirit so that we desire and we pray, Lord, let us be of a service to somebody along life's journey. Joseph, Bible students tell us, is like Jesus in over 100 ways. And it came out of those grace experiences. I wouldn't name all 100, but I can name four or five of them. One, Joseph was hated by his brethren. Who else do you know that was hated by this world? Jesus. Two, Joseph was lied upon. Who else do you know was lied about in his trial? Jesus. Joseph was put in a pit and then he was put in prison. Who else do you know that was put into a a dark place? Called a grave. And Joseph was brought out because it was a servant. The one thing that 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 butler said about Joseph could be said about all of us. He didn't know a lot about him, but he said, Pharaoh, you want an interpretation? I know a servant that can help you. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> he didn't say, well, I, I know where there's an a, 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 a interpreting organization downtown that deals with dreams. Call them up. No, 
He said, I know where there's an old lowly boy that all he ever does is serve. I recommend him highly. <laughs> I thought about that, and I thought about when I draw my last breath in this old world and they place me in that coffin. The thing that I want said about the individuals is not things of high and lofty yeah, statements, the greatest thing that could ever be said was that I was a servant. No more do I care to be said. A servant. <laughs> he made Joseph like Jesus. And what grace will do in your life, in my life, it will work to make you like the Son of God so that we can serve one another. Not fight over who's having to serve and who ain't serving. <laughs> but grace is taking us through those channels to where our heart is saying, Lord, I want to serve. and Let me serve. See, what grace is doing in your life is trying to bring forth the image of Christ. For we are predestinated to be conformed to the image of Christ. Not to embrace our own image, but his image, because he wants to minister. He wants to minister to your husband, to your wife, to your children, your grandchildren, to your neighbors, and to the people on the job. But the only way he can do that is create himself within you by grace and allow you to serve. <laughs> Jesus went around. He said, I've come to set the captive free, to minister to the sick the blind and the halt. He said, I, ain't, I didn't come to rule nothing. I come here to get down. I come because I want to serve. <laughs> so, by the way, did I hear some of y'all say y'all wanting grace? If you get it, it's going to serve. It wants to serve. 